If you've been here for the past um, two weeks, past few weeks, um, you'll know that we're in the middle of a sermon series following on from the Church of England's Living in Love and Faith course. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the course was on issues of sexuality and it gave us the opportunity to listen to each other and to listen to people with different opinions and different views to our own and in some cases quite markedly different views. And this sermon series, it's now giving us the opportunity to listen to God speak, to listen to him speak to us from his word on some of these issues. Um, Now I'm aware that on any morning in church, we're going to have visitors and guests, people who may be thinking of joining us, people who are just traveling through. And it's great to have you with us. Um, These aren't topics that we cover every week. Um, It's just at the moment we've decided that now following on from this Church of England course, that now is a good time um, to spend some time thinking through what God thinks on it. Now, in the first week, um, I explained that we're going to be taking things um, rather slowly. We're going to deal with a few issues first. And the first issue two weeks ago was how God speaks to us. And we saw that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. The Bible is inspired, all of it, by him. He has planned every word on every page. And because of that, we can't ignore bits or replace bits that we don't like. In fact, we saw that Jesus has some fairly condemnatory things to say to people who do want to cut out or rip out bits of the Bible. The last week, we looked at how a Christian is someone who has been brought from death to life by God. Dead people can't do anything. We're dead spiritually. It's God who gives everyone life when they become a Christian. It's not down to our effort, it's down to God. But once we're made alive, then we're transformed by God as his spirit dwells within us, as he changes us. And also we saw how it's God's, it's our love for Jesus that leads us to want to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. And that's even when we disagree. In fact, you could even say obey is only when you disagree. Otherwise, it's just doing what you want to do. Now, both sermons are available on the internet and there are details on the service sheet that you hopefully got on the way in on how to listen to them, um, both online and on um, a telephone line. This week, we're going to start touching on some issues that are going to be a bit more difficult. We're going to consider what marriage is and what marriage is for. And then next week, we're going to look at other issues of sexuality. Now, as I've said on the past two weeks, none of us have got this sorted. None of us think or act perfectly like Jesus, and that includes me. So all of us need to come humbly before him humbly before God's word and ready to change. So with that, let's pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we know that at times some of the things that you say in your word are difficult, difficult to hear, difficult to understand, difficult to preach on. But Father, we know that everything in your word is given to us for our good so that we may be corrected and rebuked and trained in righteousness. But also, Father, that everything in your word is there to show us about the wonderful salvation that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, how we can be invited into your family, 
So Father, wherever we're at this morning, whether we're nervous, whether we're excited, uh, whether we've just come in and don't have a clue what this is all about, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us this morning, that you would soften our hearts ready to hear you speak. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I should also say that I'm very aware that marriage can be a difficult um, topic to talk about. Um, while all of us wish that we were either happily married or happily single, that of course isn't the case for many people. Many people know the pain of divorce or widowhood, or others who long to be married but for some reason aren't. And then there's others who are married but bitterly regret the day that they were and feel trapped in that relationship. So I want to acknowledge this morning, as we begin, that parts of this could be quite painful for some of us. I know that behind every smile and polite hello, there can sometimes be terrible suffering and terrible pain. So if anything crops up in this sermon um, that does touch a nerve or that you'd like to talk to me afterwards, please do catch me after the service. Um, we'll be heading across for tea and coffee. Um, and also my email address and telephone number are also on the service sheet if you'd like to get in touch that way. And I'm happy to arrange a time either to talk on the phone or to meet up in person if that would be helpful. Well, with that, um, issues around marriage aren't new. There were plenty of problems around marriage in Jesus' day. In fact, at the beginning of our passage in Matthew, Jesus is asked a trick question about divorce. If you want to follow along, we're on page 19 of the Pew Bibles. There should be Bibles on most of the pews. Um, that's page 19, and it's Matthew chapter, um, chapter 19. It's page 19 of the New Testament. It's a bit confusing, these Bibles. But in verse 3 of chapter 19, it says this, Some Pharisees came to trick Jesus, came to Jesus and to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Now you might be wondering, how is this a trick question? Well, you might know of John the Baptist, who's actually Jesus' cousin. And John was a prophet in the wilderness before Jesus arrived. And he told King Herod that he shouldn't have married his second wife. See, Herodias was actually married to King Herod's brother and she divorced him so that she could marry the king. And the king divorced his wife so he could marry Herodias. And John the Baptist called this out and said it wasn't right. And unfortunately for John the Baptist, it didn't turn out very well. His criticism led to him being beheaded. So you see, the Pharisees are testing Jesus to see if they can trap him. Depending what Jesus is going to say, the new king and queen might chop off his head as well. And for the Pharisees, that will be job done. But Jesus, in typical fashion, answers them, but not in the way that they are expecting. They want to discuss divorce, but Jesus says to them, they don't understand divorce because they don't understand marriage. I wonder if that's true for us today as well. So what does Jesus say marriage is? Well, he begins in verse four. He says this, he answered, have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus begins with Genesis 
chapter 1, right at the very beginning, right at the start, verse 27. In full, it says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you want to understand marriage, Jesus says, you need to grasp the most basic thing about being human. What's the first question someone asks when a baby is born? It's not what's their name. It's not how much do they weigh. It's is it a boy or a girl? The most basic thing about us is whether we're male or female. Here Jesus quotes the first book of Moses and affirms that we're either male or female, equal and different. Men and women were created together right back at the start by God. We're equal, and at the same time, we're different, and that's okay. And then Jesus continues in verse 5 with these words, and he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is now quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It's a bit where Adam and Eve have just talked about them being created and how they're brought together, and it's explaining it. It says, a man leaves his parents and is joined to his wife in marriage. It's leaving and cleaving, leaving your parents, cleaving to your wife. They leave their old family and become a new family. And once they're joined together, they consummate the marriage. They become one flesh. When they come together sexually, a change occurs. They're joined together. Now, before we move on to think further about being one flesh, I need to point out something really important. And this is possibly the most important thing I'll point out this morning. Did you spot how verse 5 begins? For this reason. Jesus is saying that verse 4 is the reason for verse 5. At the beginning, God made them male and female is the reason for how a man and his wife become one flesh. God made them male and female. That's the reason for the two shall become one flesh. People being made male and female is actually the reason for marriage. Genesis talks about how Eve was taken from Adam's rib and created. Not from a foot so that we don't walk over, not from her head so that she doesn't rule over him, from a rib so that she can be loved by him. And just after talking about that, it then talks about them coming back together being united together as one flesh. It's a beautiful image, quite a romantic image as well. People being made male and female is the reason for marriage. Or we can swap it round. If verse 4 is the reason for verse 5, we can say verse 5 is because of verse 4. See, Jesus is saying here marriage is because we are created male and female. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? 
Marriage is for a man and a woman. Only a man and a woman can become one flesh. Now, of course, there are lots of objections to that, aren't there? One objection is that, well, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was speaking, only heterosexual marriage existed. So, of course, Jesus is only speaking of it. And he would say something very different today if he got the chance. But the problem with that, with that logic, is that when Jesus talks of people becoming one flesh in marriage, that one flesh is because the couple are male and female. It goes back to creation. See, the law of our land says homosexual couples can get married legally, and that's true. We can't deny that. But Jesus is saying they can't become one flesh because they're not male and female. And there's no other way to interpret this. Trust me, I've tried, I've sweated over it this past week. I've thought about it long and hard. It's not easy to get up in front of a crowd, to record it and put it on the internet, and to publicly disagree with society. Certainly not when society is becoming increasingly militant. This is uncomfortable for me. And my mind is cast back to what happened to John the Baptist. But there's no other way to interpret what Jesus is saying here. You see, the only way to get around these two verses and the implication is to rip them out of our Bibles. And I know that this morning some of you here would prefer to do that than indeed some people listening online as well. It's difficult, isn't it? And it's uncomfortable when Jesus says something we want to disagree with, and especially when we're Christian. And that's the reason why we've been taking things slowly. That's why the past two weeks we've looked at the Bible, how God speaks, what it's for, and what a Christian is. The Bible is all of God's word, all of it, even the bits Jesus says. We can't pick and choose. Jesus says that we'll come under judgment if we do, so please don't rip them out. Please don't ignore what Jesus is saying here. If you ignore him in one thing, the chances are that you'll ignore him in other things as well. Please don't walk away from Jesus. You see, Christians are first and foremost people forgiven by God, by Jesus. And then they're being transformed by him. Our relationship is to be one of love. Jesus says that if we love him, we will obey him, even when we find it difficult, even when we want to disagree. So let's not. Now, I know that um, another argument against um, this is that some people say, well, marriage itself predates Jesus, and even the Old Testament, that there's a deeper understanding of marriage, or a more primitive one, that Christianity has somehow taken and adapted. You could even use the words hijacked. But there are two problems with that. And the first one is this, Jesus is God. And as Colossians remind us, everything was created by him and for him, including male and female. Jesus knows better than us because he was there right at the beginning creating us. And secondly, look at verse 6. Jesus says, So they are no longer two but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together. When a man and a woman come together on their wedding night, they become one flesh. But it's not their doing. It's certainly not the vicar's doing. It's God's doing. God is the one who joins. All too often, we're the ones who separate. Marriage is about God joining people together. God joins husband and wife together spiritually, emotionally, even physically. That's why it's so painful with divorce. That's why it's so painful when a spouse dies. Marriage is not just a piece of paper, as some people scornfully call it. Marriage has been ordained by God from the beginning. The husband and wife become one flesh, and this is because they've been created male and female, joined by God. Marriage is because of how God creates and how God joins. God's design for marriage predates any and every marriage. It's his idea. We need to listen to him. Now, we don't have time to look in detail about what this passage says in divorce. Uh, We can look at that another time, or if you have questions, do chat to me. Um, Other than to say Jesus is very strict in this passage about divorce. He says that the, the only reason is for sexual unfaithfulness. In fact, he's so strict that his listeners decide then, they exclaim, it would be better not to marry if that's the case. And Jesus' response is yes. For some people, but not all, it would be better not to marry. And he goes on um, in verses 11 and 12 to talk about eunuchs, basically people who were single. And he says, some people are single because of the way they've been born. Others are single because of how God has treated them. And still others are single because of a choice, deciding that it would actually be better for God's kingdom not to marry. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that marriage isn't everything. It's not the be-all and end-all. In fact, marriage isn't good for some of us. And it's not that there's something lacking in us as if we've failed some sort of marriage suitability test. No, for some of us, it will actually be better not to get married. Actually better. God has a better plan, a better story, something far more wonderful, far more delightful in store. And we're going to see what that is as we look at our second passage from Ephesians. Uh, If you've got a Bible open, uh, we're on page 181, um, Ephesians 181. Sorry, Ephesians 5 um, on page 181. See, so far we've been seeing that Jesus says marriage is a man and a woman being joined together by God into one flesh. That raises the question, what is marriage for? And the answer might surprise you a bit. You see, our second reading from Ephesians explains. But before we look at it, I just want to say that there's a potential trip hazard here. This passage talks a lot about headship and submission. Two things that can, of course, be misused and abused. 
And our society and many others don't like these things, don't like to talk about them, certainly don't like to say that it's okay in marriage. Now we can discuss another day whether it's possible for headship and equality to coexist and what that might look like. And I guess also what it does look like would look different in different cultures, but we don't have time to focus on them today. Instead, I want to read a few verses and I'd like you to spot the repeating phrases. So Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the saviour. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 29. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Just as. Did you spot that? And if you've got your Bibles open, in verses 22 and 24 and 28, he says similar things. As, just as, in the same way. Marriage is a picture of the church's relationship with Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is like a marriage. If you're a Christian, you've got Jesus as a husband. So I've got a wife and a husband. That takes a bit of getting my head around, doesn't it? It sounds a bit strange. But there's more than even that. You see, like Jesus, Paul also quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, to explain what marriage is all about. So in verse 31, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says something amazing in the next verse. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. He's quoted this passage from the Old Testament, and he says it's not immediately about human marriage. It's about the marriage between Christ and the church. See, Paul is saying that our relationship with Jesus our relationship with Jesus is more than just like a human marriage. He's actually saying it's the other way around. Human marriage is like the marriage between the church and Christ. He's saying that it's the relationship with Jesus that is more foundational, more fundamental. So do you want to know what human marriage should look like and how it should work? We'll look to the relationship with, between Jesus and the church. You want to know how wives should respect their husbands? Well, look to the relationship between Jesus and the church. You want to know how husbands should love their wives? Well, look to the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus loved the church so much, he gave himself up for her. He died on the cross for her. What husband can say that they love their wife as perfectly as that. You see, it's the marriage of the church and Jesus that is the paradigm. It is primary. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is derivative. Marriage on earth is just a picture, a small comparison of our relationship with Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus that won't end in death. It won't end in divorce. 
Jesus gives us assurance. See, that is the point of marriage. It's a picture of a better marriage. It points to it like a sign. It's like an advert or a trailer for a film. And that's why it doesn't matter so much if we don't experience it firsthand. That's why it's okay not to be married. We're not missing out. You see, our society sees sex and marriage as the ultimate things to experience. But the Bible says it's just an advert. There's something even more ultimate. Paul and Jesus, who we've been listening to, to today, both of them were single men. And they didn't think they were missing anything. You see, the trailer, the trailer for the film, well, the trailer is just sex and marriage now. The film, that's marriage to Jesus forever. Some of us, well, some of us get to see the trailer before the film. If you enjoy sex and marriage now, you're just enjoying the trailer. But if you don't, don't worry. When you've seen the film, you won't care if you've never seen the trailer. It's insignificant. That's the difference between marriage today and eternally with Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you are married to Jesus. And in the world to come, our desire to experience sex and marriage today is going to seem insignificant, like nothing. I think that is the saddest thing about the debates about sexuality and marriage today. They've made us lose sight of a far better reality. Being one with Jesus, being united with him, loved and cared for by him. He was willing to die for us. If you're a Christian, that is what you've got. And if you're not a Christian, that's what you're missing out on. That's why you need to come and get to know Jesus, being loved by someone perfectly, someone who is willing to die for you. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is a lot in your word, a lot that you have to say about marriage. We thank you, Lord, that even the best marriages in this world are but a pale comparison to the perfect marriage between the church and you. Lord Jesus, we're sorry that sometimes we don't take you at your word. Sometimes we want to ignore it. We want to explain it away. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for your clear word today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we continue to wrestle with that, as we work out what that means, how to welcome people at church and to be loving to them. Please, Father, would you help us to be more like Jesus? Would you fill us with more delight? Would we be captivated and amazed by this relationship that we have with him, that it's even better than marriage. Please would you help us to think rightly about these things. And we pray that in Jesus' name and for young, your son's glory. Amen.